was watching a fellow lead music this evening, 2 Kings chapter 5. I mentioned this morning, if you weren't here in the service this morning, if you were not here last Sunday night, I want to encourage you to get the CD from the message. Um, not necessarily because it was some great message, but it's a sermon or a message that we set, uh, spent dealing with why we are Baptist. And I believe it's important, especially if we belong to an independent Bible-believing fundamental Baptist church, that we understand why we are Baptist. And uh, so if you have not, if you were not in the service, I would encourage you, even if you were in the service, maybe, and you thought, well, I didn't get all those notes down or whatever, because we gave a lot of information last week, uh, feel free to get one of those. Brother David uh, will be glad to run you a CD there in the back. Well, let me rephrase that. He'll run you a CD in the back. I don't know if he'll be glad about it or not. I hope he'll be glad about it. But maybe I'm speaking for him out of turn there. But I think he'd be glad about it to do that and get that to you. And I want to encourage you in that. Second uh, Kings chapter 5. And we'll read just a few verses of Scripture. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Syria, a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. Father, we come to you and ask that you would bless the message tonight and speak to our hearts and encourage us. Lord, the thoughts that we'll bring out tonight are not original with me, and I'm certain that others have preached on this topic I pray that you would help us to glean the truth that we need from this passage this evening. And so we ask that you would enable us and give us true wisdom and discernment that our eyes could be opened, that we would understand and see some things that will encourage and strengthen us and cause us to be more of what we ought to be for thee. And I pray that you'll bless the message and the service tonight. And Father, may may we be able to, at the end of this, Say it's been good to have been in the house of the Lord. That we can look back with it and say that we were able to give the glory to you. And uh, that it will encourage us and strengthen us in our faith. We pray that you'll have complete control and complete access to the service tonight. That your presence will be very real to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We read here of a story of a man by the name of Naaman. Most of us know the story or at least have heard of the story over the years. And Naaman was a captain of the Syrian army and had been used, whether by God or, or by his commander at least, that we know of at this point, to deliver Syria uh, and to bring about a great victory for them. We certainly understand and know that God orchestrates the events of men's lives. God is a sovereign God, and he brings to pass things that uh, line up circumstances. And as God would have it, uh, he allowed Naaman to capture and to bring back some captives from Israel. And among them was a little girl. The Bible refers to her as a little maid. We don't know what her name is in Scripture, but God used one sentence, or actually two sentences, two phrases, that she spoke and recorded them in His Word for us. And there's something very special and very critical about what she spoke about here. I understand that Naaman, the Bible says here, was a great man. This was a man of uh, great influence. 
He was a man of great authority and great power. He had been, uh, he had risen to rank in the army, the Syrian army. Uh, the Bible says that he was an honorable man and a man that was looked upon. But the problem with, with him was that even though from a worldly perspective he was a very successful fellow, he had an issue. And the issue was that he was a leper. We don't hear a lot about leprosy today and the day that we live. It's not a big problem here in the United States. There are a few countries in the world where it still is an issue and a problem. But in this day and age, in this time of period of Naaman, it was a very big problem. And uh, was a, was a devastating thing. And many times it was pretty much a death sentence for a person. And uh, they would get boils and sores on them and they would just begin to rot away at the flesh. And the best they could do and that they could hope for would be to bandage them and to wait for those rags to uh, become saturated. And then they would take those off and wash and put another clean bandage on. But they would follow that process through until they would usually die from the disease. Terrible disease. And though he was a great man and in stature and in authority and as far as the world could see, a man of great success and a man of great influence and wisdom and a mighty man of valor, he was a man that nonetheless was in great need. And God in His divine providence allowed for a young maid, a little maid, from Israel to serve in his household. And I want to take a few moments tonight not to focus on the story of Naaman, although Naaman's an amazing story. Because from the influence of this little maiden, this man's life was changed, and because of it, the course of an entire nation was changed. She told Naaman about a prophet back in Syria, the prophet Elisha, uh, in Samaria, I'm sorry. And so if you'll just go down there to the prophet in Samaria, he'll heal you. And we all know the story how Naaman went down there. And I love this because Naaman did what God told him to do, didn't he? And I'm not sure in his mind, I've heard preachers preach this before, how much Naaman probably grumbled and griped that he had to go down to an old nasty muddy river. of The Jordan River was not a pleasant river to be in. And uh, certainly he asked why he couldn't go to the, the clean rivers in uh, Syria and uh, wondered why he had to go to the old Jordan, nasty Jordan River to do this. And yet he obeyed God and he dipped himself seven times and the seventh time he came up clean and, and his skin was like brand new. The Bible refers to it like it was like that of a child or a baby. And he was cleansed and purified and a great miracle was wrought in Naaman's life. You know, the greatest miracle of this story is not what the little girl said, although that's an important thing. That's what we're going to look at tonight. But the great miracle of this story is that when Naaman came out of the river, he goes back to the man of God and he begins to tell the man of God, I used to worship idols and have been a man that followed after uh, idolatry. And he said, but now I understand that your God is the one true God. And Naaman that day made God his God because of the testimony of a little maid. One of these days I'm looking forward to, we were just talking about the rapture a few moments ago, and I'm glad I'm ready for it to happen. I told them just a few minutes ago that the best way to go in the rapture would be if we were sitting back in our lazy boy and just finished off our last baby back rib on Labor Day, licking the juice off our fingers, and then the trumpet sound. Wouldn't that be a way to go? Amen. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? If God would let us schedule it, that's the way I'd schedule it. And uh, But you know one of the great things about us going to heaven is we're going to see Naaman there one day. And I just suppose that if God allows us to, he's, 
We're going to maybe go up to him and say, Naaman, I've heard the story. I want to, let me see you. I want to see. Let me talk to you about that time. I believe Naaman will probably say something like this. Hey, I want you to meet somebody. She's not real important in Scripture. You don't find her name anywhere mentioned. She only said two phrases that we have recorded in Scripture. But oh, what a difference she made. Understand that this little maiden was taken from her home. And she was taken from her family and she was put into slavery. And some people would look at that and they would say, Oh, the circumstances, all oh, the, the problems that this young lady had to face and be involved in. And I don't know what's going on in your life and I, I barely know what's going on in my life sometimes. But you know, I think all of us could say that there's been some valleys along the way somewhere. There probably even are some of us that would sit here tonight and say, I would have never thought I would have been where God put me in this point in my life. And yet the truth of the matter is, there's some things we ought to know about that. Number one, God knows where you are. In fact, number two, I want you to know, He's the one that puts you there. And number three, He is with you while you're there. And I want you to know that this young lady understood this. God had put her here. And God had placed her for just this purpose. And God was not done with her. It would have been easy for her to gripe and mope and complain about her slavery and say, I've been taken from my mom and dad and I've been taken away from my country and I've been taken away from my own prophet, the, the, the preacher, if you will, that I, I listened to and sat under. All that had been stripped away from her and taken from her. It would have been very easy for her to get bitter of her circumstances and say, I'm not going to do anything for the Lord. But there's something that this young lady decided to do that I think you and I ought to look at and take encouragement from and maybe learn from tonight. And that is she learned to bloom where she was planted. She learned to make a difference where she was. I would hope and pray that if we went around the room tonight and said, is it our heart's desire that we can make a difference for the Lord Jesus Christ during our lifetime? I think most all of us would agree that we would love to do that, wouldn't we? We'd like to make a difference. When we leave this world, that we will have done something for the cause of eternity that's impacted another life. So that we can rejoice throughout all of eternity about what God has done in their life. I think we would all rejoice in that. I think that would be the desire of our heart. And this young lady was able to do it in the face of adversity, in, in trials of life that we would look at and say, I don't understand how she could continue her testimony in such a place. But she does. And I want us to look at, the, and the, the title of the message, I guess, if there is one tonight, is how to make a difference where you're at. Some of us look back on life and say, well, all the great things that God allowed me to be involved in, but as I've gotten older, I just physically can't do it anymore. Can I tell you that there's still something that you're able to do to make a difference in where you're at. And I know that there are some times that we try to challenge young people to say, you know what, don't wait until you're older and say, I'll serve God when I'm older. Make a difference now. Make a difference where you're at. It doesn't matter if you're six years old or 60 years old. Whether we're looking forward to the life God has in front of us or we're looking back to the life that God gave us, we can all make a difference where we're at. And so we're going to take a few moments tonight. We're going to let the young lady speak tonight and look at what she said and what she did in order to make a difference where she was at. Let's take a look at it very quickly in verse number three. And she said unto her mistress, would, and what's the next word? Would God. Let's stop there for a moment. 
The first way to make a difference where you're planted and where you're at is you must make sure that God has the right place in your life. This is key. When I met with the deacons just before they came to the church and asked for the church to consider voting for me to become the pastor, one of the questions asked by the deacons was, what is going to be your priority in preaching to the church folks here? And I told them that the priority that I have in preaching is to teach that we abide in Christ. The most important part of the Christian life is our relationship to our Lord Jesus Christ. Beyond service, beyond doing things for the Lord and being busy in the, in the work of God, beyond all of that is our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, Brother Greg, do you have scripture for that? Absolutely. A lawyer came to Christ and said, what's the greatest commandment? And what did Jesus tell him? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. That's the greatest commandment. Now, he does say the second greatest commandment is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And that's where service comes in. But it is second to our walk with God, isn't it? I was in colleges, Bible colleges, that while they didn't verbally come out and teach this by practice, they encouraged the students of the college that service was first. We've got to get out here. We've got to knock doors. Don't worry about your time with the Lord. you just got to spend time knocking doors and telling. The more people you tell about the Lord, the more chance there's going to be of somebody being saved. And you can deal with your relationship with God later. And I found out after getting out of Bible college that without me, the Bible says you can do nothing. Without the walk with God and without His power on our labor and our service, we're laboring in vain anyway. And this young lady in trying to, this, this little maid that God put in the right place at the right time to do a work for Him, was trying to make a difference in the life of her Lord, her Master. And the first thing that she came to realize is that it was all about the Lord Jesus Christ. It was all about God Himself. It wasn't about her Lord, or her Master here on this earth. It wasn't about his, her Master's wife. It wasn't even about her. To be truthful, it wasn't even about the prophet down in Samaria. But it was about God. And the first words out of her mouth as she speaks this is, Would God, would God, my heart's desire is that God would put it into your heart to send our master down to the prophet in Samaria. Our heart's desire is that God will do something. Our heart's desire is that He'll draw us closer to Him. Oh, that we could get excited about God once again with our hearts and our lives. That when we read our Scripture for our devotion time in the day, that we don't just read the Word of God, but we read about the God of the Word. That we look for Him in the pages of Scripture and we write down things maybe in our Bible or in a journal or in a notebook somewhere and say, oh, what a great God I serve. As I read about how He acts, And how He loves. And how He works in the lives of men. And it causes us to love Him more. The songwriter wrote it this way, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Do you see the glory of God tonight? Do you see that great light You remember when Moses went up to Mount Sinai and got the tablets 
from God. And the Bible says that when he came back down off the mountain, after spending time with God and asking God to see him, and God puts him in the cleft of the rock and covers him and passes by, and Moses can see his hinder parts, that he had to have a dark veil over him so that the people were not turned away from the brightness of his countenance. Can I tell you this, that when we begin to see God's glory and God begins to have His rightful place in our hearts and our lives, people will take notice. There'll be something different about you. I was walking through a mall a couple years ago with my kids, and I hate malls. I don't like malls. Men, you know what I'm talking about. We are different than ladies when it comes to shopping. We don't need to go and feel and touch everything in the store. We just know what we want, we know where it's at, we know how much it costs, and we walk in, we get it, and we leave. I went to the shoe store here a few weeks ago. Amen. I got an amen out of that one. We're getting spiritual now. I went to the shoe store. I needed a pair of shoes. In fact, I needed two pairs of shoes. I ruined my work shoes, and I needed a new pair of dress shoes. And I took my kids with me, and my daughter's like, Dad, she's used to going shoe shopping with ladies, you know. And she's like, Dad, I don't want to go. I'm tired. I'm like... Ray, trust me, we're not going to be very long. And we walked in from the time I, I parked the truck and we checked out and we were back in the truck with two pairs of shoes was not more than six minutes. And I told her, I said, you check the time we're walking in. And we walked in, I said, now you check the time we got six minutes. Two pairs of shoes, not one. I'm going to tell you something. I don't even know where I was going with that illustration. But I will say this, the things of this world will go strangely dim, won't they? When we view God as He really... Oh, I know what it was. We were walking through the mall. You guys forgot. You got me off track and forgot I was walking through the mall. I was walking through the mall and there were four young people, college age, that were coming toward us. We were near a college and I happened to know there was a Bible college in the area. A good, very good Bible college, in fact. And they were walking toward us and I looked over at my kids. I said, they're from the college. My kids said, how do you know? I said, I just know. And as they got closer to us, I said, are you all from such and such college? And they said, yes, we are. How do you know? I said, there's just something about you. When you're with God, you can see that, can't you? You remember when Peter was following Christ through the time of the crucifixion and they're bringing Jesus into the judgment hall and Peter's without. And he's warming himself by the fire and he denies Christ. He said, no, I don't know him. You know one of the great condemning points that those around the fire gave him that I think was a great testimony to Peter? They said, Thy speech bereath thee. Your very talk convinces us that you've been around Jesus. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the world could say our speech betrays us? That we've been in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we've spent time with Him. Years ago, the great Charles Weigel, who wrote the song, No One Ever Cared For Me Like Jesus, was preaching out in California. And just before the preaching time, he had heard of a rose garden out there, a beautiful rose garden. And he had gone out and he thought, while I'm here, I want to go see this thing. And he went out and he began to walk the fields of roses that were out there. And he just loved the smell that was coming off of them and the beauty of them and watching them. And as he went to the service that night... Somebody walked up to him and said, you've been to the Rose Garden, haven't you? He said, yes, I have. How do you know? He said, because the smell is still on you. And he began to pen the words of a song regarding roses. When we get around the Lord Jesus Christ, it, it just can't help but rub off on us, can it? When he has the rightful place in our lives, there's something different about us. 
This young maid was telling her master and her master's wife, and there was such a testimony about her that the Bible doesn't even speak of here. It's just implied and it's just understood that this great man, this man of influence, who, who I'm sure was captain over many of the troops of Syria, this man of authority, listened to a little maid. That's how powerful her testimony was for her Lord. Because he traveled all the way to Samaria at her word. And went to the man of God at her word. And dipped in the old muddy Jordan River at her word. What a testimony. She says in verse number 3, I think we need to first of all give God His rightful place in our lives. She said, would God, my Lord, and I just want to stop there for a moment. Here's a man that is a great man of authority that has brought her into captivity and put her as a slave in his house. If that wasn't enough to cause her to hate him, he's also a despicable man from the horrible disease that he has and how disfigured he must have been. Sick to even look on. Can you imagine what kind of heart and compassion it took for her to be concerned of the well-being of her Lord. Lower case L, it's not talking of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're speaking of her Master. And we find the second thing that we can do to make a difference where we're at. Find somebody that's unlovable and love them. We've lost that. In the day and age that we live, we look at those that are unlovable and we condemn them. Or we shun them. Or we depart from them. Oh, that we could find someone that was unlovable and love them with all of our hearts. I remember as a young man just out of Bible college and going into the ministry and working with young people and taking a youth group over, there was a young man by the name of Thomas in the youth group when I got there. And Thomas was a little different. Every, every youth group's got to have, every family's got to have one like him, I'm sure. He's a little different, a little odd. Didn't fit, to be honest with you. He just, you know how it is. There's those that just kind of all work together, and then there's always one that just doesn't seem to fit in. He wasn't mentally slow or anything, just socially different than other people. When I first got there, my heart began to break as I watched how the other kids treated him. And I watched as he withdrew into a shell more and more. He was in a Christian school that I was involved with at the time. I wasn't teaching at it, but worked with the school. And even the teachers began to treat him in a bad way. They would joke and laugh and make fun of him. I remember thinking one day as I watched some of that happen from some of the adult leaders. What kind of a difference could have been made in that young man's life if one person would have befriended him? Oh, but Brother Greg, he's a little odd. Oh, he may be a little odd. But we're sinners. 
that are saved by the grace of God, but we're just sinners, aren't we? What makes us any better than them? Find somebody that's unlovable and love them. This young girl, even though he was the one, the instrument that took her from her family and her home and put her into slavery, even though he was a man that was detestable to look at because of his, his, his disease of leprosy, she had compassion and loved him nonetheless. Can I say this? Not for his sake either, but for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. She had God in her right place. She loved someone who was unlovely. And then I want you to notice she said, Would God my Lord were, the, were with the prophet that is in Samaria. I love this. The third way we can make a difference where we're at is to take the truth that we've been given and give it to somebody else. She had been given truth from the prophet back in Samaria and all she could think to do because of her compassion for her master was to tell him, If you'll go over there, You'll find some help. How do you know that little maid? Because I had some help from him. The truth that worked in my life, it'll work in yours too. Making a difference where we're at. Having God in His rightful place. Loving the unloved. And then taking the truth that's been given to us and share it with someone else. We've been studying 2 Timothy 2 on Wednesday nights. The Bible teaches us that the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. We're to take the things that we've heard and the things that we've learned from God's Word that either the Holy Spirit has taught us in our own private time with Him or that we've been taught in Scripture from the preaching or the teaching of God's Word. And we're to take those things and we're supposed to share those with other people. They need to hear them. And she's found three ways already that she can make a difference. She's put God in His rightful place. She's loved the unlovable and she's taking now the things that she's learned and she's giving it to somebody that's unlovable. She's sharing the truth that she's been given. And then look at chapter 3. Everybody look at the verse for a minute because this is important to me. There's not one thing in Scripture that's there by accident. Amen. Not one thing in Scripture. And especially in our King James Bibles, we believe it to be the preserved Word of God. Without error. The Bible says here in verse number 3, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria. And what's the next thing in Scripture right there? Right after the word Samaria. No, no, not the word. What's the next thing? What is it? Exclamation point. Exclamation point. Can I tell you this? As Christians, we need to get an exclamation point in our life. I love the Lord! Exclamation point. I want to see people saved! Exclamation point. Not period. We're not declaring it. We're expressing it. This is something I'm doing because it's my passion to make a difference. I don't want to just be status quo. I don't want to come in to a service and have a service. I want to hear preaching. Exclamation point. I want to sing the songs. Exclamation point. I want to fellowship with God's people. Exclamation point. If people looked at our lives and said, I either want to follow their God or I don't want to follow their God, how would they know if we don't have the explanation point? That exclamation point is very important to our lives. We serve a living God. Exclamation point. 
We serve the God of all gods, the King of all kings, exclamation point. And He loves me, exclamation point. And I want to make sure everybody in my neighborhood knows it, exclamation point. And I want to make sure everybody in Jefferson County knows it, exclamation point. This young lady was excited about this. She didn't just come to her, her uh, the wife of, of Naaman and say, well, don't know if it'll help or not. But there is a prophet down in Samaria that, well, you know, I don't know if Naaman would want to go. But maybe if he wanted to go, maybe go see the prophet that maybe possibly that. And I don't want to offend him. I don't want to offend him, so I'm not going to push this on him. Well, let's declare our faith. She doesn't say, I think, I might. Maybe he wants to. She said, oh, God, would to God that he would go. Exclamation point. Because there's a God in heaven using a prophet in Samaria to do his work. And if my master, my Lord, can only get to him. Why, little maid, are you so concerned? Because I love somebody who's not lovable. And I want them to know the truth that I've experienced. Exclamation point. By the way, if we get an exclamation point in our life, it won't be hard to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. It won't be hard to leave a track with them either, will it? It won't be hard to invite them to a special service at Keith the Heights Baptist Church or even just a regular service. It won't be hard for us to go out of our way to show them some love. Say, Brother Greg, they won't have anything to do with the things of the Lord. They're good people. We're friends. We talk, but they won't listen to the things of the Lord. Ask them over to your house for dinner. Love them. Exclamation point. And then we find in verse number 3, for he would recover him of his leprosy. She was a maid of faith. Not only did she believe that God could do it, she believed God would do it. Faith is not believing God can. The truth of the matter is even the devils and demons of hell believe that God can do it. God's people ought to believe that God will do it. Because it is his heart's desire. You say, Brother Greg, how do you know it's his heart's desire that people come to him? Because he said, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. Because he said, I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God's heartbeat. That's His desire. And we can say with absolute faith, without wavering, and with great boldness, and can I say it again, with an exclamation point, that God will change your life if you'll let Him. You just got to get to Jesus. You just got to get to Jesus. And you know what the great thing is? God gives you and I the privilege to go out and find somebody and say, let me take you to Jesus. 
Let me take you to somebody that can fix the leprosy in your life. Oh, you may not be lovable, but I love you anyway. And I want to point you to somebody that did something so great for me that I just want you to share in it. I want you to share in it. I want to point you to the Lord Jesus Christ. Exclamation point. Let's stand together with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, what a simple passage and yet so, so powerful. Be easy for us to read through this and quickly gloss over it and say, well, that's kind of a neat story. But Lord, a great miracle was done in this passage. If we'll just have the sense and the discernment to be able to see it and to recognize it. And Father, I pray that You would help us to give You Your rightful place in our hearts and our lives. That the absolute priority of my life, the absolute priority of the lives of those that are in this church service tonight, would be to seek to give You the preeminence in every aspect of our life. That we will clear out all the trash and all the junk and all the things that may distract and give You absolute and complete yieldedness of our hearts and our wills to You. That You would have Your rightful place. That we would love someone that's not lovable. Because, Lord, that's what You did. You loved me when I was not lovable. That we would take the things that we've learned that have changed our lives, that have transformed us from the inside out and share them with someone else. That we would do it with fervor and passion and excitement and enthusiasm. With great boldness and great faith. Father, help us to make a difference where we're at. Whether we're old or whether we're young. Whether the circumstances of our life are the way we were hoping they would be or whether they are something completely different from what we ever thought we would ever be in. Father, may we make a difference where we're at. May you use the story of this young little maiden. We don't know her name and I look forward to meeting her in heaven one day. Along with Naaman and those of his household that I'm certain must have made you the Lord of their life as well and asked you to be their Savior. Father, help us to rejoice in what we've been given, but not to hold on to it to ourselves, but to spread it everywhere we go. That you would make such a difference in our life that people would see it and take notice. Not so we can pat ourselves on the back, but so that we can lift your name up. We can glorify you and tell people about the great God that we have that has transformed us from the inside out. Lord, I pray that you'll dismiss us with your blessings. And I pray that as we leave this place, you'll help us to take the truth of your word along with us. To put it into practice and to place in our lives. That we would consider the truth. Not quickly just forget it. That we would meditate on it. That as we go to bed tonight, we would think through what we've learned this evening. 
Perhaps even as we wake up tomorrow morning that we would take a few moments in our minds to review, to learn, to integrate the truth that you've given to us tonight into our lives and allow it to make a difference. Draw us closer to you, Lord. Help us to love you more as we leave. Help us to draw closer to you this week. And Lord, use us this week to be an encouragement and help to someone else. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.